0: Amen. Well, hey, you may be seated. Uh, I'm going to invite all of our campers and huddle leaders from summer games forward. If you haven't noticed yet, uh, or if this is your first time joining us on a camp Sunday, hey, you guys can just go ahead and stand right on this top row right here facing out into the congregation. That one. Up, up. There you go. And I'm going to stand down here. So if you haven't noticed, today's a little different than most Sundays that you might experience here at uh, Centerpoint UMC as it's Camp Sunday and we're going to be celebrating and testifying to the goodness of God at what he did uh, at camp this week, not just summer games, but Eastern Iowa Bible and all kinds of other camps. Um, So each of our students is going to answer the question, what was the most impactful part of your week? And they're going to talk, each of them, about 30 seconds or so. Our huddle leaders might talk a little bit longer. Uh, And then afterwards, I'll come forward and I will give you all a recap of uh, what went on this week as well. So they're uh, testifying to the goodness of God. And also, I hope that you would hear through their testimony a thank you to all of you for the support, um, not only financially, but in your prayers, in your willingness to um, carpool and all of those ways that uh, this church makes Summer Games happen. And Just to brag on us a little bit, um, there was a time when I think we averaged about five to ten kids going to summer games, and this year we were the third largest church at summer games with 32 campers and three huddle leaders, so. All right. No, Sam, those are campers, so you're going to start first, Mr. Huddle Leader. (laughs) All right, so about 30 seconds or less, what was the most impactful part of camp? Hi, guys. Um, I'm Sam. I was a huddle leader this year. It's my second year. Um, I would say the most impactful part of all of camp was worship because it really, everybody just threw aside all of their worries or all of their, like, thoughts on how people were seeing them and just praise the Lord, which is how it should be, but sometimes it's, it's easier to open up in a room full of people that have all been hearing the exact same things you've been hearing all week. And it allows you to just bring yourself in front of the Lord and just praise his name with everything you have, and not have to worry about anything. Yeah. So I'm Cameron, and I'd say the most impactful time for me was the huddle time and all the worship music, because everybody was worshiping to the same things. And then soccer was also great, except for getting injuries. I'm Zach and the most impactful part of camp for me was definitely huddle time and just seeing my huddle and myself grow in our faith over the week. Also worship was pretty good. I'm Ellie. Um, The most impactful part for me was growing closer to my huddle. We started off the week not knowing each other at all, like not even knowing names, and by the end we were almost crying leaving each other. I'm Maya and the most impactful part for me was hearing my own sister's testimony in front of everybody at camp. Um, I was in tears (laughs) and um, also like not even like just a specific event at camp just like constantly being reminded of God's plan all week at camp um, and just knowing that God's plan is always greater than my own so. Hi guys my name is McKenna um Probably the most impactful part for me, I kind of have two. I can't really decide. So, okay, so this was my first year as a huddle leader. Um, absolutely loved it. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Um, <laughs> but I, it was very impactful for me to share my testimony in front of everybody and to have that opportunity to be able to do so. Um, because I had, I had some people come up to me after and say, "Thank you for sharing that." Because sometimes people don't want to share their testimony because they think it's not good. But everybody's testimony is good because it has Christ involved, so when Christ is involved, it's good. Also, so this is my first year as a huddle leader. I had 10 campers in my huddle. Nine out of 10 of them told me that they accepted Christ this week, so yeah, amen to that, absolutely. So that would probably be my most impactful part, but yeah. My name is Julia, um, This was my first year as a huddle leader, but this was also my first year ever at SGU. So I think the most impactful thing for me was just seeing like how this camp really impacts people. Like there were 300 people or more, more than that, more campers than that. Okay, so there was around like 350 people in there and like watching them all like worship Jesus, like unconditionally, like they don't care what's going on was super impactful. And then also just like seeing how Jesus moved through my huddle, not just in like changing their hearts, but like bringing them together and like bringing them a community, um, that was really cool, so yeah. My name is, (coughs) my name is Allie, and the most impactful part for me was Thursday night when we all uh, shared our testimonies in our huddle. My name's Grace, the most impactful part for me was worship and seeing like everybody's hands go up and worshiping God. My name is Emily. The most impactful part for me was probably huddle time because we just learned a lot more about Jesus Christ. My name is Brielle, and the most impactful part for me was night worship because you could see Jesus move through everyone. My name is Grady. My, the most impactful part for me was um, altar call night because that was really cool to see the presence of God. Hey, my name is Levi. My favorite part was Probably Thursday night when my huddle leaders Sam and Carly prayed over me. That was pretty nice. Um, I'm Addie J. And I think the most powerful moment was worship. And just to feel the Holy Spirit and just see that many campers worshiping him him was truly powerful. Um, I'm Noah. I think the most impactful part was Thursday night when we heard everyone's testimonies and how their lives changed after they met Christ. I'm also Noah and my favorite part was Wednesday night when we got to see a live reenactment of the crucifixion. Um I'm Nick and my favorite part was huddle time because we all kind of shared like what was happening in our lives and we all were able to like pray over each other to make others understand that we knew what was going on and that there were ways that we could fix it. And then my favorite part was definitely soccer. When one of the drills was to, was a speed drill to grab a ball and I got to wrestle over a ball against Grady. Uh, my name is Eli and my favorite part of camp was uh, night worship when we got to hear other people's testimonies and um, the crucifixion scene on Wednesday night everyone. All right, you guys may be seated. All right, so it's my job to talk to you this morning just a little bit about Uh, what Summer Games is and kind of what the experience is that these all are uh, all these wonderful students are testifying to and I I want to let you know that this year at camp was a little bit different for us as the leadership of summer games we've never had the number of students who had never been to camp before as we did at camp this year Um, we'd never had the number of students at camp before that had never even heard the name jesus or at least the very least they'd never heard the name jesus in any kind of a church context and so that is both a blessing and a struggle Um, and i know because i was one of those kids one of those non-church kids and so uh, when i showed up to church camp i didn't know how to act either And so we had this wonderful blessing of ministering to hundreds of students, a number of whom uh, did not yet know Christ, and it was so amazing throughout the week to see the way that the Lord moved, the way that God worked in their hearts, and to hear the testimonies of people like our Huddle leaders saying things to us in our morning staff meetings that they had six, seven, eight campers accept Christ for the very first time. And so there is real Holy Spirit work that happens at camp, and uh, it doesn't only happen at camp though. And that's one of the things that I think we have to be reminded, and that they have to be reminded that when they get home from. Summer games that the work doesn't stop then, that actually that week was just preparing them for what God is sending them out to do. But I want to talk to you this morning just a little bit about the theme. Um, and this year's theme, if you noticed any of their shirts, was the story. And we talk about stories. We like to tell stories for a number of different reasons, right? One of them is that we relate to characters. One of them is that some kind of uh, Flow of thought, some kind of story, narrative flow of thought makes things easier for us to understand. Uh, And this year we talked about how God has actually been telling one big redemptive story all throughout the history of humanity, how it culminated in Jesus Christ and how our stories are a part of it. And so if you notice, if you read the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, God's people continually fall into this cycle of obeying him, worshiping him as the true God that he is, and then they fall away into sin. And then they receive some kind of punishment, and then God redeems them. He restores them, and then they walk with God for a while, maybe a generation or two. And then they fall away again, and they fall into sin. And it's just this vicious cycle that the Israelites, the people of God, had been stuck in for thousands of years until God sent his son Jesus to live and to die so that that cycle could be broken, so that the story could be rewritten. And so the, the big story that we talked about this week was one of a God who stepped into the midst of the story of his people, who stepped into the midst of the lives of his people, who constantly turned their back on him, who constantly spit in his face, who constantly sinned against his holy name, and yet he didn't see fit to stay in heaven, as it says in Philippians chapter 2. But that, that that God actually entered into the story of humanity. That he didn't choose to say far off, he didn't choose to say separated or removed as some people will tell you that God is, but that he actually stepped right into the middle of all of the mess and all of the brokenness of their story in the form of his son Jesus Christ. And he lived out his own story, he lived a perfect life, he lived a life that we could not live, he lived a life that was without sin and he walked that journey to the cross and when he found himself hung on a sinner's torture tool, As he died and the wrath of all of humanity's sin was poured out upon him, he actually rewrote the story of humanity. Because it was in that moment when Jesus died, when the wrath of God was poured out upon him, that all of our stories and the stories of anybody who would ever be in Christ were changed. It was at that moment that the rifts, the divide, the brokenness that had existed between man and God since the very first sin was restored only by the sacrifice of the Son of God himself. And so now, for those of us who are in Christ, we have a new story. That in our sin and in our brokenness, in the ways that we separate ourselves from God, in the ways that we don't live up to His holy and perfect standard, when we find ourselves in the midst of a story that we can't seem to change, it's not, us, it's not up to us to change our story because it's not our story to tell. It's actually a story about what God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ, in our lives. And so that's the, the big story that we talked about this week at Summer Games, but also we focused on specific stories, on particular stories, on testimonies, on people in Scripture and the way that God moved and worked through them. And one of the people that we chose to focus on most specifically was a man by the name of Peter. And so I want to walk you just real briefly through the story of Peter, similarly to what our campers got to experience this week, and just show you how in Peter's story and in your story, in the midst of our fallen nature, God is still working his redemption. So if you have your Bible, you can open to Luke chapter 5, or you can uh, look up on the screen and it'll be there for you. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The Apostle Peter, at the moment of his calling at that time, Jesus already knew that he would be uh, essentially the de facto leader of the Apostles, right? Peter was one of the first to recognize that Jesus was worth leaving everything for. He was one of the first to see that Jesus was calling them to a life that was different than the one that they were living. And so, not unlike many of you, when you accepted Jesus Christ for the very first time, Peter finds himself with such awe at the majesty and wonder of God. He's willing to leave everything, right? He's, he's willing to leave his profession. He's willing to leave his family and his livelihood. Whatever he has to do in order to follow Jesus, Peter says, I am going to give my life to following this man because I know that there's something special about him. And oftentimes we feel that way at the moment of accepting Christ. You know, this week, like I said, there were so many students that had never even heard the name Jesus before that we saw so many kids accept Christ for the first time. So many that I had to remind myself not to become callous to the fact that people were accepting Jesus. Like so many that I had to remind myself that it wasn't just a small insignificant thing when a huddle of 10 kids told me that half of their kids accepted Christ. That I had to remind myself that at the moment of conversion at the moment that those students were giving their lives to jesus making him the author and perfecter of their faith that the angels in heaven the bible says were rejoicing they were singing glory to the lord at that sinner that was saved and just like peter we find ourselves in those moments when we commit our lives to christ willing to do whatever it takes to follow jesus But for those of you who know your Bibles at all, you know that Peter's story, much like our stories, are not a straight line. That Peter finds himself uh, sometimes in Jesus' good graces, and in other times, Jesus calls him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you do not know me. And so, like many of our, like all of our campers, actually, and all of our huddle leaders and all of the adults there, We looked at Peter's story and we saw that even in the midst of um, God's great big story of redemption and in the midst of our individual personal stories that we fall short. So if you would uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26 verses 69 through 75 and it will be on the screen for you as well. All right, Matthew 26. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out the gateway, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then then he began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The rock on which Jesus said he would build his church, at the moment when he was given the opportunity to testify to his faith, to proclaim Jesus as his Lord, as his Messiah, in the midst of adversity, it was at that moment that just as Jesus had predicted, Peter fell short. There's this big blot in the middle of Peter's story as one who knew Jesus intimately and personally and yet still denied him. And all of us in our stories can probably think of a time in which we've done the same. A time in which we were presented with an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and we didn't for fear of social retribution. An opportunity that we were presented to tell somebody about how much we love Jesus Christ and yet we didn't because we were afraid of what they would think about us. An opportunity to testify about what God has done in our life and we didn't because we believed that our story was insignificant or unworthy or not good enough for somebody to hear. And in the midst of that story, in the midst of Peter falling away, separating himself from the man that he said just a day before that he would give up his own life for, he denies Jesus. And I think it's important for us to note that even as believers, even as those of us who have professed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that the unfortunate truth of Romans 3.23 still remains, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that if our story stopped at Romans 3.23, if our, if our story stopped at our sin and our brokenness, then the gospel would not be good news. And yet our God, the one who so masterfully wrote and spoke into existence this very world, your very life and mine, He did not choose to leave Peter's story like that. So would you turn one final time with me to John chapter 21, verses 15 through 25. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went out where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the dis- this disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive, what is it to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. I include those last few verses, not because they're about Peter, but because they're about John testifying to how true the Word of God is. Jesus, in calling Peter to feed his sheep, to to care for his lambs, is speaking into Peter's life a kind of redemption that is lost on us as 21st century English readers. See, when, when Jesus spoke in the dialect of Aramaic and Greek that was kind of mixed together that Jesus likely spoke in, repetitiveness was a sign of emphasis what jesus was doing was giving peter a very large opportunity to testify to the fact that he loves him and now you and i might say what, what, wait a second jesus like three days ago peter showed in his actions and his words very truly clearly that he does not love you Right? Like, I don't know about you, but if you were walking up to die for somebody else in their place and one of your friends had the opportunity to step in and at the very least say, I'm with them, I support them, this person is on my team, and instead you watched them say that I've never met them before, I don't know how many of you would think to ask them if you ever got to see them again, do you love me? Because you would know or you would believe that you know that they don't that all the things that they had said to you in the past, that none of it mattered, because in the moment when it mattered most, they denied you. And yet, when our God chose to wrote the story of history, when he chose to step into the earth in flesh and blood, he did not choose to come with condemnation, but with love and forgiveness. And so that message, that good news gospel message is what allows us to go to camp every single year and experience lives that are changed, to experience the kingdom of God grow just a little bit more. That even in the midst of our stories, when we constantly deny the very God who created us, he reaches out towards us in love, in mercy, in grace, and in forgiveness. And that is the truth that we testify to every single year at camp and every single Sunday in this church, that you and I are unworthy and undeserving, that we are sinful and fallen short of the glory of God, and yet the story does not end there that your story and my story is not even defined by ourselves, that I'm not the main character of my story because if I'm the main character of my story, then my story always ends up poorly. When I try to take life into my own hands, when I try to white-knuckle the steering wheel of my life, it's in those moments that I find myself in the worst possible places. When I try to read the Bible as if the Bible is about me, that's when I find myself in the worst possible places. But when I allow the Lord of the universe, the King of Kings, to step in and be the main character in my story, that's when life truly changes. That's when the kingdom really expands. That's when the gospel is really advanced. And that's when I get to live the life that I was called to live. And so I hope that as we go forward from today, you would be reminded of the fact that no matter where you find yourself this morning, no matter what you were experiencing when you walked in here today, Ephesians 1 said that in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our sin, God foreknew us and he chooses to lavish his grace upon us. Not just a little bit of grace, not just a begrudging entrance into heaven because maybe you've accepted Jesus, but he lavishes his grace upon you despite your disobedience. And so I pray that you would walk today knowing the love of God for you. I pray that you would leave today knowing that no matter where you find yourself, that if you are still here, your story is not over. That the Lord of the universe cares deeply and intimately about your life because you are his child if you are in him. And I also ask that if you get a chance today, you would ask one of these few up here about the story of what Jesus has done in their life too. Would you pray with me? Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We give you all glory and praise that you rewrote our story. God, that when we were headed for destruction, when we were doomed by our sin, that it was in that moment that you stepped in and you made a radical change, that it was in that moment that you stepped into our lives and you changed the story, that you rewrote the trajectory of our lives by saving us through your blood on the cross. And so, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would use our stories, that you would use our testimonies, that you would use your great, big, wonderful plan of redemption for humanity, that you would use us wrapped up in that great big story to testify to the goodness of the gospel and that we would spread that message to everyone that we meet that through the sharing of our stories people would not hear us glorified people would not hear more about what we have done or what we can do or about what we are doing but that through our stories people would come to know you and so Lord Jesus we pray these things we ask that you would give us the words to speak the eyes to see and the ears to hear what it is that you would have for us, both as individuals and as a body of Christ. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.